Chapter 14 Seven and Nine Years Among the Comanches and Apaches An Autobiography by Edwin Eastman This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Hopes and Fears An Adventure For over two years my life was one unvarying monotony. A ceaseless round of toil. Day after day I was occupied with my duties in the laboratory, or in gathering roots and herbs for the preparation of the medicine. The daily life of the village presented a weary sameness after I had become accustomed to its more novel peculiarities. There was little of excitement or interest in my surroundings. At first, the arrival and departure of war parties, or the bands, who at regular intervals went forth to hunt or to steal horses, attracted much of my attention. But, eventually, all these became tiresome. For when you have seen one of these gatherings, you have seen all. So little do they differ. Many times I accompanied Wakumetkla in his trips beyond the valley, in search of those ingredients for his medicine, which could not be procured within its limits. I had not yet abandoned the idea of escape, should an opportunity offer, and I had hoped that in those expeditions beyond the valley, I might find the occasion for which I longed. But in this regard, fortune did not favor me. I was always too closely watched to make the attempt with any hope of success. And it was not long before I satisfied myself that even if I should succeed in getting clear of the valley, there was very little chance of my finding my way back to civilization. Gazing from the summit of one of the spurs of the mountain range east of the valley, I found my path to liberty barred by the desert, which stretched for many miles to the north and east. Southward, the prospect was scarcely more inviting. The country was almost equally barren, although more broken, and affording a better chance for concealment. But I knew that the expert Indian trackers would find my trail, no matter what course I might take. And an attempt to escape on foot could only result in my being overtaken, brought back, and probably tortured. For not even the influence of the high priest himself would avail to save me, if detected in an effort to escape. With a good horse, success was possible, although it was an open question whether I would be able to find my way through a country of which I knew so little. It seemed far more probable that I would either perish in the desert 
or only survive its dangers to fall into the hands of other savages, more cruel and relentless than the tribe of which I had become an unwilling member. So I reluctantly concluded that the idea of flight must be abandoned unless unforeseen circumstances should arise, giving me far better opportunity than had as yet offered. That I should ever meet with such an occasion, however, was altogether unlikely, and in time, the very thought of escape was almost entirely banished from my mind. In the autumn of the second year of my captivity, the monotony of my existence was broken by a rather exciting adventure. And as it is the only experience of the kind I ever met with, I will briefly narrate it. In the company of Wakometla, I had gone in the early morning to the lower end of the valley to procure an herb, called by the Comanches, Ayakara, which grew in great abundance along the sides of the cliffs. Hitherto, we had been able to gather it at a short distance from the village, but having used it in large quantities, we had stripped the shrubberies on both sides of the valley of all that was fit for use, and were every day compelled to go to a greater distance in order to obtain it in sufficient quantities. Hence, on this occasion, we had reached a distance of nearly ten miles from the village, before we were able to collect enough for our purpose. By this time we were considerably fatigued by our excursions, and sat down at the base of the cliff to rest and partake of such simple fare as we had brought with us. While thus occupied, my attention was attracted by an animal which suddenly appeared upon a ledge far above our heads. A singular animal it was, and would naturally excite the curiosity of anyone who beheld it for the first time. To me, however, it was no stranger, as I had frequently seen others of the same species upon the cliffs bordering the valley, although I had never before had so favorable an opportunity for a close examination. Commonly known as the Bighorn, or Rocky Mountain Sheep, and found inhabiting all the mountain ranges which divide the continent, it seems a sort of cross between goat and sheep, having much of the appearance of the latter, with more of the habits of the former. Standing upon a rocky ledge, which jutted out from the face of the cliff, it surveyed me with great apparent curiosity, and without any signs of fear. As soon as I perceived it, I sprang to my feet, and seizing my bow, in the use of which I had become quite expert, I quickly sent an arrow through the unsuspecting animal, and it tumbled headlong from its lofty perch and fell dead at my feet. Wakometla, who had been rather taken by surprise by the suddenness of my movements, now came up to me and praised my skill and quickness. 
He then condescended to assist me in skinning and cutting up the carcass. We then packed in the skin such portions of the meat as we could carry with us, and hung the rest upon a tree, high enough to be out of the reach of the wolves and coyotes, so that we could return or send for it if we chose to do so. I supposed that we were to return at once to the village, but my companion directed me to remain, as he wished to proceed down the valley a short distance in search of a species of bark for which we had been looking during our ramble, but had been unable to obtain. Telling me that he would return in a few minutes, he started off and was soon lost to view in the thicket. Reclining upon the ground, I filled my pipe with Kinek Kinek, or Indian tobacco, and proceeded to make myself as comfortable as possible. Wakomekla's absence was prolonged far beyond what I had expected, and I was considering the advisability of starting in search of him, when a sound reached my ears as of someone breaking through the undergrowth, and concluding that it was my master returning, I laid back and abandoned myself to the contemplation of the blue smoke wreaths that curled above my head. As the sounds came nearer, I began to doubt whether it could be Watkomekla after all, for his progress through the thick undergrowth that skirted the valley was usually comparatively noiseless. But I was so absorbed in my own reflections that I did not give it a second thought, but lazily awaited the appearance of the newcomer, whatever he or it might be. In a few moments, the mystery was solved, and in a manner the reverse of pleasant. Emerging from the dense undergrowth through which he had forced his way, the new arrival entered the little clearing near whose center I was reclining, and on turning to discover what had occasioned the noises I had heard, I beheld an object that sent a thrill of terror to my heart, and for a moment rendered me incapable of motion. The object in question was a large animal, which I at once recognized as the grizzly bear, the most dreaded of all creatures that inhabit this region. End of chapter 14